Hey, gearheads, and welcome to GT Garage Talk, a discussion about all things automotive. I am your host, Corey, and on this month's podcast, we are talking New York Auto Show. I have finally caught back up on my sleep. I have finally rested up from the nearly 20 miles that I traversed on foot while I was in the city. And my shoulders have finally forgiven me for carrying around a nearly 20-pound backpack for a duration of most of those 20 miles and was able to sleep, think about what I had seen. All of my content is now out from the show. So if you haven't seen, whether it's my one-hour-long complete show floor tour or some of my deeper dives into uh, some vehicles that were released there uh, that made their debut there, whether it be the new Ram electric truck, the 1500 Rev, as they call it, the 24 uh, Jeep Wrangler, the new Kia EV9, the Genesis GV80. There was a lot of really cool, fun, new stuff there that we were able to cover. But in this month's episode... It's not just me. Uh, I met up with my friend Carl Malik from Car Revs Daily, and he also writes for Cars.com and has his own TikTok channel under his own name. Uh, we caught up and we were kind of shooting the breeze about stuff before formal unveils and after unveils, but it was nice to be able to reach out to Carl. And this is this episode is our chance to really shoot the breeze over everything we saw there, uh, what we didn't see there, what was kind of missing, what stood out, and what really excited us uh, about the 2023 New York International Auto Show. So without further ado, I bring on Carl. So Carl, long time no see. It was about this time last week that you and I were up in the city that never sleeps, the Big Apple. Yes. <laughs> How you been? <laughs> uh, I've been doing good. Uh, recovered from some of the jet lag, but uh, been staying busy. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I, we haven't even talked travel schedules. I, I booked apparently the last flight out of New York back into Dallas got back home at like 2 a.m. the following day and I regret my travel decisions on top of that it was a completely full flight it was oh no not yeah, my best my moment flight, I mean it was full too but I've always been kind of a crazy person when it comes to scheduling so I had another I think it was another early morning flight out of New York mm. and then uh I had a pretty late pretty late one out of New York too so yeah for me, I, I am much more a night owl than an early bird, so I didn't so much mind the timing of it. The drive, because I flew back home to Dallas and then still had two hours to drive home, so I got home home at 2 a.m., and the drive home was the worst part of it all. I tried sleeping on the flight. Didn't happen. Uh, just too amped up. I had walked something at like 12 miles that day. It was the second day of oh, media man. previews, and... I spent a fair amount of time at the show, but then decided to go out and explore the city. And uh, 12 miles with a 20-pound backpack and all my stuff on my back. I regret <laughs> everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kept my exploring limited. I mean, all the wonder, you know, for me left when I had to drive through the city the first few times that I went to the auto show. Yeah. Like, any sense of, like, tourism, it's like, 
it faded away when I had to deal with New York traffic. <laughs> yeah, the thought crossed my mind. I was like, I could stay not in Manhattan and reach out and get a press vehicle. But I did that in L.A., and I stayed away from L.A. and in Calabasas, saved on my hotel room, got some time in the truck. But then I added a level of work to my trip in that I had to review the truck that I was in. Mm -hmm. Did the same thing in Chicago. And I was like, you know what, New York? No, I'm not doing it. I don't really want to drive in Manhattan. Don't know where I'd park for the show. It's just no. And, you know, I got my steps in. <laughs> The fun part is gas stations. Like, if you ever drive through the city, you have to map out the gas stations. There's only, I think, two or three of them mm -hmm. in the entire Manhattan area. So if you're low on gas, like I was one year, you know, you better pray that you find a gas station. Well, I saw one <laughs> of them, and it was super sketchy. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was on the, I believe we were on the Upper West Side. I was with... Uh, cousin and i was with family and yeah uh saw one of them super sketchy don't regret my decision much happier to get my steps in than oh for sure to yeah deal with traffic in manhattan no thank you <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a lot of stuff we can talk about not only all the debuts at the New York show, but you and I both recently got back from a first drive event in San Francisco with the Mazda yes. CX-90, and I'm keeping up a little with uh, what our peers are saying in the industry. Some love it, some hate it, some think it's uh, too underpriced for what it is, some think it's too underfeatured for what it competes against. It's kind of all over the board, so what is your quick take on the Mazda CX-90? Well, that's a good question. I mean, driving it around San Francisco, I mean, it's certainly a very good three-row SUV. And I know you hear, and I've heard the, the comparisons between it and BMW. But mm -hmm. The thing is, I think it's actually better than a Jaguar, hey. believe it or not. I know it sounds crazy, but if you think about it, um, the pricing especially for the content that you do get and the styling is really good and you can buy it and not feel guilty about navigating through the electric nightmare that is a Jaguar infotainment system because the <laughs> Mazda system is very straightforward, mm -hmm. very easy to use. Really loved it. Yeah. So I, I was wise in my planning with our media fleets around here and reached out. I knew there was an MDX type S in our fleet and asked for that specifically around the time that we'd be driving CX-90. And I don't want to spoil the reviews, but if you're looking to save 10 grand, you had to sacrifice some stuff. Yes, but they're, they're pretty close to one another. And, and I was shocked at what Mazda was able to bring to the table. And I, I kind of joke that these first drive events are kind of like speed dating in that you get a little bit of time with and it, it just either whets your appetite or lets you know immediately, yeah, this one's probably off the table. And uh, for the CX-90, it was definitely, I, I want more time with this one. What what more can we discover? Yeah, likewise with me. I mean, uh, the inline six in that in that CX-90, it's, it's a gem. Mm -hmm. I mean, the peach of 
engine. Yes, it has some difficult P-Chef quirks to it, but I want more time with that inline. Yep. So like I said earlier, it felt like I was behind the wheel of a Jaguar or a BMW inline six, and yet here I am in a Mazda. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just had to get that out of the way, but the, the big news here where you and I are both coming out of New York and the auto show there, auto shows in particular, I'm on our... Uh, media group on Facebook, just looking at some of the comments on uh, the mm -hmm. press conference schedule from our peers and, and the complaint and even some comments from regular folks on my YouTube videos are, I miss the days of whatever, two floors, uh, two halls, whatever the case may be. Uh, Chicago is the show that never quit. They were mm -hmm. the last one before lockdowns. They adjusted accordingly. They just now got back to two halls, although they were scaled down in size. Uh, I'm hearing yeah, it's very diminished. Yeah, I'm hearing New York is normally multiple levels, but this year was only the one level. Clear omissions. Let's see, Cadillac wasn't there. GMC, Mercedes. Gosh. Uh, I mean, I think Audi was the, back there in the back in the supercar era, era, but there were there Porsche were was Porsche was there too, but it was very uh, yeah, like four cars, diminished. yeah. So very interesting schedule of events, uh, release vehicles there, and interesting who who was not there for the New York show, which makes me curious. We've got Detroit coming up in September. And then in November, L.A. once again. But uh, what were your takes, having been in this industry longer than I, uh, what, what were your initial takes on New York? Well, you know, the might as well address the elephant in the room. I mean, compared to what it was, like, say, back in 2017, 2018, even pre-pandemic, yes, the show is smaller, but... It doesn't mean it's the end of the universe. Right. I mean, perhaps the biggest detractor, you know, for some of the brands that are not there is that you're missing out on customer outreach. Mm -hmm. Because few people know this, but uh, I used to work in auto dealerships for years before I got into the press side of it. And you'll have some of these customers that might not want to go to a formal showroom and deal with the hassle and the pressure from the salespeople but they'd be more than willing to go to an auto show mm -hmm. and feel like they can sit in the car, try out some of the features and talk to people in, a, in an environment that's decidedly more low key and less pressure. Mm -hmm. So that's arguably the biggest detriment I'd say for brands that are not there. I mean, you'll have Mercedes and some of the others say it comes down to customer demographics, but that customer outreach and what you're leaving behind, you know, that's a that's a big one, you know, that uh, many customers will notice when they get into an auto show, see who's not there and who is mm -hmm. there. And for a brand like Mercedes, that could by some be considered an aspirational brand, even if the demographics don't line up currently with who you're going after. That's not to say you're not building that future customer uh, it, just by having that experience at the show. 
So, oh, absolutely. Yeah, there is a lot that goes into uh, attending these shows from a manufacturer standpoint, but the brands that were there and were there in a big way, I'll run down the press conference schedule list of uh, brands here. We had Ram, Hyundai, mm-hmm. Subaru, Jeep, and Volkswagen. So a uh, lot, lot of new sheet metal shown off there and uh, an, an interesting grouping of products, we'll say. A, a lot were electrified. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we'll start with the first because – that's uh, one of the places you and I met up, and you have a connection here. Uh, what were your thoughts on the Ram 1500 Rev? It's an interesting truck. I mean, uh, I, d- I was one of the ones that did put in an initial deposit. And, you know, I've just been keeping an eye on what Ram has been doing with the truck. Mm-hmm. And seeing it in New York, I mean... Yes, the exterior styling is not as sharp looking as the concept, but were you really expecting the bulk of the concept <laughs> styling to make it to production anyway? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I was willing to give that a pass, but the thing that struck me the most was range. Because if I'm going to go into an EV, for example, you know, I'm going to pay attention to range. Mm-hmm. And that 500 mile range, and who knows how much of that is usable range versus what Ram wanted to put out on a headline. Right. So that that really stood out to me. Yeah. You know, the most. Because you have the Silverado RST that looks like a bloated avalanche, for lack of a better <laughs> word, and it gets 400-some miles mm-hmm. in RST, guys. And then you have the Lightning, which is doing roughly the same thing as the Rev. It's trying to look like a traditional truck, but even the long-range battery can't match that 500-mile uh, mark. So right. that certainly stood out to me. Yeah, for me here in Texas, I've done several EV road trips, and I always start off super optimistic, thinking, you know, I've planned it out. I, I, I know what we're going to do here. Inevitably, I always end up in single-digit miles of range left, and I have come to the hard conclusion that if I were to ever invest my own personal money in an electric vehicle in the current state of the infrastructure, big asterisk there... Um, mm-hmm. I would need at least 300 miles of usable range. And to me, that means at 80% because mm-hmm. DC fast chargers will slow to a trickle at 80% to protect the batteries. And that equates to essentially 400 miles of advertised range. So Ram with their 500 gives me even more of a cushion that I'm like, you know what? This is an EV that I could get behind. It's got a massive battery. It's super heavy, but you have my interest. Yes. And the thing I tell people too, because I'm still waiting to hear on final pricing. I believe Ram did not release that Mm -hmm. with the uh, unveiling in New York, but the other thing too, for most people is price. And if the truck, you know, is at a good enough uh, price point, because Let's be real. I mean, I'm a buyer that would not be going for a range-topping tungsten model, mm-hmm. do. but, you know, if the, the Bighorn or even the uh, Tradesman trim is approachable, then great. But if it's not, it's okay, because that's the beauty of those initial deposits, you know, that many of these automakers will offer. If you want to cancel them anyway, it's okay. 
you know, you don't have to feel bad about it. You get your deposit back. You know, it's a pretty seamless thing. Yeah. And, and so as a deposit holder, uh, that that is an interesting point of view for potential customers is, you know, we've seen these vehicles in concept and now near production form. We're still waiting on a lot of details, but it sounds like it's been a positive experience for you knowing that you're really only temporarily out a hundred and mm-hmm. you could get that back if you wanted. Whereas uh, some will say, um, no, we'll non-refundable deposit or we'll chase you through all these loopholes that you had to go through. So sounds like a pretty positive experience. Yeah, so far. And I mean, uh, the $100 deposit was actually, is actually among one of the cheaper uh, deposit rates you'll see in the industry. I mean, GM also has, I believe, a $100 deposit on some of the things. But Fisker, you know, I was researching Fisker a bit. I, I didn't put a deposit with them. But doing some research and, you know, when Ram came out with the deposit amount, it's like, which one would you choose? The two, the one that wants a $250 deposit and might not last as a company in about 10, 15 years or mm-hmm. the $100 deposit from a company that you know is going to last and uh, you can feel confident knowing that they're not going to put you through as many loopholes and hoops, you know, if you feel that you need to cancel. Yeah. So. Yeah, and that's the thing. So being on the bleeding edge of automotive technology as a consumer means potentially leaning into one of these brands like Rivian, like Fisker, like Lucid that are not legacy automakers that have not been around for a hundred or near a hundred years. Whereas now that mainstream automakers, legacy automakers are actually getting into the game and are giving us competent options. It's almost taking away the early adopter advantage that some of these startup companies had. And it's making them raise the bar when it comes to performance. We know the lucid air Sapphire is just insane. Uh, that's what Tesla is known for is their crazy performance numbers. But for me, EVs have always been, one, an excellent luxury vehicle, and two, an excellent commuter vehicle. And if either of those things appeal to you, uh, I, I was, my parents were in the market for a new vehicle, and they joked about EV, and I was like, honestly, for y'all... They have a 2012 Pilot that they barely have any miles on. That is their road trip vehicle. I said, it would actually make a lot of sense for y'all to get an EV because it's your runabout the town car. Why would you want to pay for oil changes and all the extra maintenance that goes with a, a gas vehicle for something you're just going to drive around town? So Yeah, and I mean, you hear some of the people, too, on the truck side, You know, they'll say, oh, you can't tow with an EV. But that's the beauty of it. Half the people that are buying electrified trucks, they're not looking to tow. Mm-hmm. They're looking for something that can, as you said, go around town and do other truck stuff, like haul, say, cargo that you get from Home Depot, mm-hmm. groceries, you know, keep people comfortable. I myself, uh, I was looking for something that could haul bicycles better. I sometimes resell bicycles, you know, secondhand. And I know I can't really haul bicycles uh, the way I want to in a little tiny Buick Verano that only has room for 
groceries and whatnot and nothing big like that. Yeah. You know, with a truck like that, you can put one or two in the bed. And if you really wanted to, you can take the tires off and put a third in the, uh, in the back seat. Cause some of the crew cabs, they're, they're pretty uh, roomy these days. Yeah. Crew cabs are absolutely massive and Ram with their reclining rear seats is still setting the bar. I think for interior refinement and appointments, um, General Motors twins are, are coming up there pretty close, but uh, I say Ram is still the leader. And you mentioned the top trim tungsten being just all out ridiculous. Uh, there's a new 14 some odd inch screen infotainment screen. There's the additional 10 and a quarter inch passenger screen. Right on the passenger side, yeah. Which I know Stellantis is brands are leaning into more you've got a couple jeep products with that screen over on the passenger side now so just i think we're going to see more and more and more and more screens in vehicles and uh we're definitely leaning more into the technology side of things with vehicles and that's definitely going to potentially uh have an impact in vehicle reliability scores Mm -hmm. down the road as you put more and more screens into the vehicles, you're expecting the screens and some of these smaller screens for that matter to have more and more of the functions that you would see in say older analog controls or buttons and switches. So it does certainly leave the automakers uh, vulnerable in some of the reliability scores, but we're entering a generation now like late millennials Gen Z especially, where they might not be as bothered with big screens as, say, you and I are, and they can get it, you know, just like that. I think that's what some of these automakers are waiting for. They're waiting for that generational shift. So that way, you'll have more of the buyers comfortable with the technology, and in turn, in future reliability scores, you're not going to get hit as much. Yeah, my wife is a big proponent of analog gauges. Uh, She's still comments every time we get a vehicle that actually has gauges how much she prefers that whereas automakers prefer screens because it's simple you just put a screen in there you don't have any moving parts you don't have to worry about uh, multiple different part numbers with the dials and the uh, needles and just everything that goes into the complexity of putting an analog gauge cluster together you just throw a screen in there and call it done and you can send yep. an over and the less air weight as well. Yeah. You can send an over the air update and it looks completely different and that could be a good mm-hmm. thing or a bad thing. But, uh, we personally have a 2014 Jeep Cherokee and it has a sender helper screen in between analog gauges. And that screen has the fuel gauge on it. And mm-hmm. I still remember when that screen went out. Luckily, we were still under warranty. We aren't anymore, but it's a paid-off vehicle, so we can afford it uh, if it goes out again. But that that's one of those things. We were without a fuel gauge because the screen went out, and mm-hmm. that, that has stuck with Holly for the longest. Is Can you imagine not having a speedometer or any information whatsoever? And with the rise of smartphone apps, you could just download a speedometer app to tied you over for the time being (laughs) for sure so next up on the press conference schedule was hyundai and they showed off their new kona which they had an electrified version 
Oh, yes. And then the inline and limited there. Still no in version, still no hybrid version, but it's based on the same platform as the Kia Nero, which does have a range of powertrain and electrified options. So I fully expect to see a hot hatch in version, and I fully expect to see a hybrid and a plug-in hybrid as well. But what were your thoughts on Kona Generation 2? Well, uh, before I get into that, you know, I, I'll share your belief. I think an N is coming down the line. Maybe Hyundai is waiting for some new technology that will allow it to uh, push the performance envelope in a new way. But as far as Generation 2 goes, it's definitely a big gamble on Hyundai's part with the uh, exterior styling of the mm -hmm. thing. Because if you look at the outgoing Kona, it always had what Hyundai would like to call urban armor. It had a weird cybernetic thing. Mm -hmm. And here in Gen 2, they got rid of some of those creases and some of those lines. And they went with like a neutered version of what you would see in a Jetsons thing. I mean, the front end is more smoothed over. You have softer accents. The rear is the same way. So it's certainly a gamble. And I mean, the exterior, it's kind of a hit or miss with me. I mean, the electric, I like the older one because the older one still had some semblance to a conventionally powered Kona. Yeah. So you have that familiarity. Whereas this electric, it, you don't have that. They're trying to go all in on the futurism. And as far as the electric side of it went, I think it was kind of a miss from Hyundai there, but the end line model was arguably my favorite. I mean, you have the gasoline engine, and then you also have some of the sportier uh, elements in there that it helped craft a sense of familiarity, but also that sense that, hey, this model is trying to be the fun-loving one of the bunch, and it's going to take me places a little faster than the uh, base one. Yeah. But the interior is where the bulk of the story lies. And the interior of all three, they re it really impressed me. Yeah. So the styling on this one, I, I wonder if, you know, we're probably too far into it for Hyundai to change course. But uh, foreshadowing a little bit, we're going to be talking Kia EV9, which is their big three-row electric. Uh, we're yet to see Hyundai's version of it. In the Ionic 7, we saw the concept in 2021 in LA, right around there, yeah, which was a living room on wheels. And a lot of the interior of that is not going to make production, but had very similar front end styling. So I, I'm just assuming that Hyundai's testing the waters with their design for what will be the Ionic 7 with that rounded kind of, I don't even know how to describe it, snub nose on the front, the yeah. pixelated light For lack bar. Of a better word. And uh, it, cute came to mind a lot. It looked very cute. Whereas the other Kona, especially the in and inline version, it looked <laughs> like an angry little chihuahua, I would say. <laughs> it, it's small, but you could tell it had attitude. And um, to your point, the inline that they showed us had that big wing, had that big black grill, had some interesting wheels on it. It it definitely said, you know, I want to come. I came to play. 1.6 mm -hmm. liter turbo, uh, four cylinder under the hood, uh, proper eight speed, no 
yeah. CVT or anything like that. So uh, definitely has the chops. But you were saying that uh, maybe Hyundai's leaning or waiting for some future technology. I, I'm curious now. This just came while you were talking. Since we haven't seen the hybrid version from them, could the N be a hybrid? Because we already know with their uh, Project 74, Envision 74, whatever they call it, that yeah. is essentially a hydrogen fuel cell hybrid. I wonder, like, could they be foreshadowing something with their Kona line and give us a performance hybrid? It does make you wonder, because, I mean, right now, uh, if you were to ask Hyundai why there's no hybrid version here in the U.S., they'll say, oh, it's because we want U.S. buyers to go to the electric for uh, their green vehicle needs. But at the same time, if you look at the hybrid technology that's in that Eurospec model, especially since, let's face it, hydrogen is not ready for all 50 states anytime soon, there's some elements of that hybrid technology that it could work in an, a formal end model. Now, how far Hyundai is going to go down that route potentially, and that's potentially because Hyundai hasn't said anything yeah. of the sort, but how far down it could go, it remains to be seen. But if there's some form of light hybrid setup in the end that helps with, say, torque and acceleration off the line, and you get a bonus of maybe getting a few extra miles per gallon, pretty interesting to see i mean corvette's doing it so uh, let, let's bring it to the mainstream here with the kona so good segue into a vehicle that was once electrified and had a hybrid to now currently has no hybrid option anywhere in the 2024 subaru crosstrack their best-selling vehicle we saw in chicago the debut of all of the models, with the exception of New York's debut in the third mm -hmm. model to the Wilderness family in the Crosstrek Wilderness. I have got some friends that are salivating over this thing because it's the right size. It's a good price point at 32000 Seems to be everything. Check all the boxes. What are your thoughts on Crosstrek Wilderness? It's certainly an interesting vehicle. I mean, part of me wishes my wife, Emily, was actually here with us today because yeah. she, she's a current Subaru Impreza owner. Okay. But uh, getting a chance to sit in the wilderness, uh, look, give a good look around, it's certainly a pretty interesting addition to the wilderness family. I mean, it obviously solves uh, a pricing gap for the wilderness brand because it's bringing some of that rugged capability in a package that's more approachable for, say, budget buyers that might like the styling and the capability, mm. but they don't want something as big as a Forester. They don't want something as big as an Outback. They want something in a smaller package. And uh, I think the, the Crosstrek Wilderness, I think it's certainly a good blend of that capability and the, the value point that you get in a model like yeah, for me, like Forrester Wilderness, I, I've never been a big Forrester fan. Hey, they, they're comfortable, they're roomy, the visibility out of them is spectacular, and that's all well and good. But for me personally, 
it, it was never an appeal for me. So Forester Wilderness, it, it was okay. Uh, I've taken one off-road a couple times. But Outback Wilderness, I still maintain is my favorite. It It's the right size for what I would want and uh, just has that that edge that I would want. But Cross Track Wilderness, I think... Uh, per, encapsulates everything I like about Outback Wilderness in a much smaller mm-hmm. package. So uh, I like it. Uh, I think it was a long time coming. Again, Crosstrek is their best-selling model, and it, it only makes sense to introduce people to the Wilderness sub-brand through your most affordable model. of. Yes, because, I mean, there's some folks that will say, why doesn't it have a manual? But you got to look at the sales numbers and realistic expectations. And Subaru said it best, you know, manuals, they didn't sell that well, you know, with some of the reps I talked to. So they had to go for maximum market impact with that. But uh, it's, it goes back to what you were saying. If you were to look at say cross track wilderness in particular, it does encapsulate the, uh, that value quotient that Subaru is trying to achieve. And it's like I said earlier, it helps solve a gap in the wilderness lineup because Outback, you know, yes, it has the edginess and Forster. It has that family side of it, you know, the wilderness, but you never really had anything that was like entry level, Mm -hmm. anything that represented, you know, something that would be great for a new Subaru buyer to get into. And now you have. Yeah. You bring up manuals and the one thing Gen Z is doing right is I, I am seeing report after report of how manual transmission vehicles are on the upswing thanks to Gen Z. And it's something they want to learn and experience. So I am hoping that maybe manufacturers will lean into this a little bit further. And currently you can only get two Subarus with a manual, the BRZ and the yep. WRX. And, you know, I, Three pedal options, spread them out, save the manual. I- I'm here for it all day. And the thing is, too, with the upswing in manuals, I mean, a secondary benefit, because Gen Z is a generation that's very connected to mobile devices. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a parent and you want to make sure that your new driver is not distracted behind the wheel, get him a manual. Because it's tough to text while you drive and I highly hope people do not do that, but it's uh, tough, you know, to do that when you have to have one hand uh, responsible for shifting the gears uh, up and down. Certainly a very hard task to do. Yes, I I can sadly speak from experience on that. Uh, My daily is a manual transmission. I'm currently in a manual test car, and yes, um, difficult, and that is a a positive side effect of it for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, next up, Kia had their electric three-row. We'll just call it the electric Telluride because three-row EV, SUV. And again, the same time Hyundai showed off their 7 concept in LA, Kia showed off what became this EV9 uh, with theirs and holds pretty true to the concept. I'm surprised at how much was able to translate into the production version. I would say my biggest takeaway 
everybody in three rows talking about how usable their third row is. It mm-hmm. it was all right. Uh, I got squished a little bit climbing in the third row, but the windows back there were enormous, which typically you're in a cave back in the third row. And headroom mm-hmm. was spectacular as well because you don't have to worry about exhaust manifolds and mufflers and everything down below you. So, Oh, for sure. Uh, what were your thoughts on the big boxy three-row Kia EV9? Well, it was certainly... The wildest unveiling of New York Auto Show. I mean, don't get me wrong, Ram Revolution got most of the publicity, mm-hmm. but that EV9, I mean, the interior, it's like what you said, it's very comfortable inside, very roomy. And the styling, it's a double-edged sword for me. On the one hand, it was nice to see some of the uh, resemblance to Kia Telluride, especially the front end mm-hmm. with the way... Uh, the core headlight design was, as well as the core shape. Mm-hmm. But my issue at the same time is it looks cool and looks shiny and new now, but how's it going to age right. over long-term ownership? Because if you look at, at it from some angles, especially the rear styling and some of the wild curves and creases you do run into that concern of it might not age well versus say some other EVs that might show up in secondhand market or thirdhand market down the line. Cause we've seen this with uh, some other EVs that have come and gone over the years and they look cool and they look great in the uh, bright lights of the auto show and their first few years in the new car market. But when you got more new designs coming, and even within their own brands, you know, sometimes the styling doesn't age that well. And that's really my one concern with EV9. How is that look going to uh, age, especially as some of these EV9s uh, get into customer hands and into long-term exposure? Yeah, I believe that in their press release, they called it triangular and boxy, which don't typically go together <laughs> when but it very accurately describes that vehicle i still remember the concept vehicles wheels were essentially triangles like the the design of them it was a black triangle surrounded by machine faced uh filler basically to actually make the wheel round and they're really leaning in i i'll all credit where credit is due to the hyundai motor group as a whole, that means Kia, Hyundai, and Genesis. Their mm-hmm. design team has just been given, I, I would feel, carte blanche availability to do whatever they want, whether it be color, whether it be design. And that even translates down to the wheels. The fact that they're able to get some of these crazy wheel designs out uh, that they've been cranking out, um, the it wasn't on the press conference schedule, but Genesis unveiled the GV80 coupe concept in a wild orange color with a, a very race inspired. Uh, we had four uh, race seats in there with black and orange plaid. And I, I'm, I do like that these three brands are really taking chances and are really swinging for the fences. And like we were talking with Kona, maybe it doesn't work for you. 
with EB9, maybe it doesn't last long term, but they're definitely getting the headlines and stealing the show when it comes to, you know, we're willing yeah, they're getting, to do They're something. getting that short-term boost, you know, especially publicity, you know, which is poor aspect of what they want, you know, for an unveiling like this. Yeah. You know, EV6, when I first saw that, uh, granted, I, I feel EV6 looks way better in person than it does in photos. Uh, you just can't capture all of the of the lines and drama of the EV6. But when I first saw that, I was like, it's alien looking. It, it, it's going to look weird on the roads. And we're starting to see quite a few of them pop up around here in the wind trim. And I've come to normalize the look of those. And I'm curious which direction EV9 will go. Will it continue to stand out? Will it begin to just blend into the background? Or will it be yeah. that, that sore thumb that we're like, what were they thinking when they made that? <laughs> and part of it too, I think it's a minor thing. It's it's how you look at it, like a special lighting. Like I, I had thing years ago um, when Aston Martin decided to come back to Detroit and I was friends with the uh, sales manager at the time he asked me hey you know get some photos so I did and the thing was they were in a bad part of Cobo Hall uh, excuse me uh, whatever they call uh, <laughs> the uh, show floor in Detroit these days it's gone through so many name changes yeah. I can't even keep track but they were in a bad part of the hall and the lighting just made the cars look like garbage. You know, and he asked me, why do these pictures look so bad? It's like, well, Brian, it's lighting. Mm -hmm. You know, with a car like that, you need good lighting. And it kind of goes into the thing with the EV9. I mean, auto shows never have good lighting, no matter how hard you try. It's ultimately, you got to get that thing out there in natural lighting, mm -hmm. in a natural setting, in real world use to get a full sense of how that styling is going to uh, morph and age. Is it going to indeed stand out outside the bright lights? Remains to be seen. Will it blend in? Who knows? It's ultimately up to the consumer for that, but I've always been a firm believer that if you look at things with the right lighting, it can provide a good clue in certain circumstances to how a style interaction will age. So to that end, I, the biggest shock for me that caught me off guard was when I was leaving show day one, I was walking down uh, the street in New York and I saw a white Mustang dark horse mm -hmm. just out in the open. And apparently it was being driven by one of the uh, chief designers, lead designers of the vehicle, Joe Rady and Lori got to cover it and mm -hmm. uh, explore it for their channel. But that was the first time I had seen a 2024 Mustang not in show lighting. I've seen them at Houston Auto Show, Dallas Auto Show, New York, Chicago, LA. I've seen them everywhere, always in show lighting. And Ford always puts them in that glowing blue box or yeah, by yeah. a big screen. And it was very interesting to actually get to see one out in the daylight in its natural environment on city streets. And, you know, I liked it. Uh, first time I'd seen one in white and a good Mustang V8 never disappoints on sound. So. Right. I mean, I like, because I saw it out there myself as well. It's, for me personally, I would not get one of those in white. Mm -hmm. It just kind of detracts with some of the black accents. But mm -hmm. if 
if I saw one in that really cool dark horse, I think it's a shade of blue out and about with you know, gold them, flake. That would really it. catch my attention. Yeah, yeah. But it, it is a shame that they did not have that uh, special color out uh, because, yeah, it's a very dark blue with like gold metallic flake in it. And uh, that is going to look spectacular in natural light, but we are yet to see mm -hmm. it in such situations. Let's see. Nissan gave us coffee and then headed over to Jeep. And for a lot of people, my content included, everybody's saying it and they're like, oh, whatever, it's just a Jeep. So I remember when we went from JK to JL, people were saying, well, yeah. they didn't change it. Well, they changed it more than you know. Put them side by side and you can see all the big differences. So from 23 mm -hmm. JL to 24 JL, we got a lot of under the skin updates. We did get a, a slightly revised grill. Uh, we get the availability of a factory installed worn winch, but really all the updates are inside and underneath with the new axles and uh, the new the infotainment system as yes. well that got replaced. Which 12 plus inch screen standard across the board. So that that's huge because so many manufacturers will give you like this itty bitty little screen on base models and it <laughs> yeah. just looks so out of place. There's so much black plastic around it. You know that you didn't opt for the big kahuna when it comes to screen size. But Jeep said, you know what? Simplicity for simplicity's sake. I'm I'm hoping. <laughs> and they said across <laughs> the board. New screen, new dash. So uh, that was a, a big surprise with uh, uh, updated microphones for using the Uconnect 5 system with the doors off, top oh, off, yes. whatever. So I, I found that very interesting and fun, too, that Jeep's like, you know it's, what? People are going to be using these with half doors, no doors, no roof. Let's make this work. It's interesting, but the thing is... Uh... It also uh, resolves a long-standing complaint with uh, Uconnect. Because when I was working in a Chrysler dealer, and yes, folks, I went around a lot of brands during my time uh, in that particular side of it, a prominent complaint that you would have with older Uconnect systems was, besides some of the connection issues you'd have with some phones, it would be the microphones. Mm -hmm. The microphones were very sensitive the microphones would sometimes not be able to pick up things. And part of it was uh, just the way the microphones were. They were a very rudimentary microphone. They had very rudimentary electronics. So when I heard that they were updating the microphones, you know, it certainly stuck out to me because it's like, have they finally solved some of the issues with these microphones? Yeah. Are we going to see potentially less Jeeps coming into service with microphones that are either not functioning, not properly working, or having other issues. So a minor update, yes, in the microphone thing, but certainly a very prominent update for some of these consumers that might have had a bad experience with Uconnect in the past, especially with the microphones. And this could be an opportunity for them to be like, you know what, I can finally have a good experience with Uconnect. So user experience, since... Uh, four-door Wranglers hit the market with the JK model. Sales exploded because people were using them more as a daily vehicle than when 
two-door was your only option. So sales exploded there, and I feel like ever since then, Jeep has just been constantly refining, trying to expand and explore more people who, let's face it, are not going to use a Jeep for Jeep things, but still love Mm -hmm. the removable top, still love the rugged appeal or design or whatever the case may be. Other refinements we got, so standard giant Uconnect screen in it. We now have power adjustable seats, so that is huge. Uh, No more little strap on the side for recline or anything like that. Uh, we got side curtain airbags. Tell me that isn't from competition with Bronco. That yeah, side definitely Bronco airbags. influenced uh, on that edition. So just a lot of things in- enhancing the customer experience, trying to keep up with Bronco, trying to keep up with the ever-changing IIHS um, standards. I know when I was in uh, San Francisco talking with Mazda about them trying to keep up with the IIHS, their uh, U.S. office is like right down the street from IIHS, and she'll pop in all the time trying to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, try and get a lay of what's what's about to change. Where's their focus now? Uh, because Mazda, as a brand, is very proud of all their top safety pick plus awards. Oh, absolutely. And that is something that I, I feel is getting even more and more attention. So. With Jeep being able to add creature comforts and some safety, and let's face it, Wrangler did not score well in their IIHS crash. No, I mean it. Actually, there was an infamous case where in one of the tests, it actually managed to uh, tip over. Mm-hmm. So. so yeah, they're they're doing what they can to fix what they can with the bones that they have in the JL platform, and it'll be interesting to see. Uh, next iterations, where they focus, how how they continue to evolve to not only be more civilized, but still maintain the essence of Jeep Wrangler and that especially with some with the age of the of some of the bits that are in the platform because mm-hmm. Wrangler is one of those few that still has a uh, solid axles mm-hmm. and. You know, it makes you wonder how much further they can get with uh, civilizing it, making it more uh, luxurious, for lack of a better word, yeah. uh, on a platform that is an old school layout and a platform that's more meant for rock crawling, off road driving, and whatever than being a civilized uh, tracksuit wearing uh, urbanite platform for urban driving what makes you wonder yeah i've wondered i'm not an engineer thought about it for a while going into college but i am not makes me wonder if we may get a hybrid type approach to that front axle where maybe some trims like the sahara high altitude which is entirely meant for luxury uh, if that gets a an independent front suspension and they're still able to keep uh, a solid front axle for rubicon and willie's has really become kind of rubicon light uh, with this Mm -hmm. 2024 update so it'll be interesting to see if they kind of keep it simplistic for a bulk of their models and then give you an option of i don't even know if this is feasible but it seems like it would be to give you an independent front 
for something like high altitude? In theory, it, it, it could be, but the main thing that I think some folks tend to miss is the loyalists. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jeep doesn't want to go too far outside the box because then you'll have an army of angry loyalists that are going to be going after you for why on earth did you uh, make such a radical change to uh, our beloved Wrangler? So if they're going to make any major changes, say like a platform change or even a change where you could potentially have fully independent suspension on all four corners, it has to be a very careful and a very considerate approach. What can we do to fix some of these problems but not torpedo our sales and torpedo our uh, loyalist fall. Yeah, you never want to upset the faithful uh, that have kept you in business. And in, in my head, that that would be the only way that Jeep could navigate those waters, at least initially, would be to offer an independent front suspension on certain trims that certain trims, are, yeah. are, are clearly not... Meant because I mean, what do you get? 20, 20 inch wheels, 21, 22 inch wheels, something's huge and ridiculous on that high altitude. That, yeah, leave so. Yeah. The that I'm sorry, that's not a Wrangler at this point. If you <laughs> if you really want something that luxurious with capability, get a Grand Cherokee because you're gonna be much happier with Grand Cherokee than, but uh, or yeah. potentially even a Land Rover Defender because in Europe. Yeah. Uh, Wrangler and Defender do uh, do compete with one another out on the trails and whatnot. But of course, with a Defender, you're dealing with a completely different price point mm-hmm. and completely different uh, customer there. But yeah. it is out there, especially if you're a European buyer. So the remaining things on the schedule after this were Chrysler had a partnership with the Autism Society offering a, a pack of features for uh, families with individuals on the autistic spectrum, which included pillows, uh, seatbelt covers, and weighted blankets, which uh, we've got personal connections here to uh individuals in the autism spectrum. So love to Mm -hmm. see that partnership and where that goes. What else did we have? Uh, VW unveiled the peak edition of their new 2024 Atlas. Pretty underwhelming in my opinion, but it was nice to see the peak edition. Yeah. With uh, passport trail sport with um, Nissan Pathfinder rock Creek. I'm trying to go through all of them right now. Three row SUVs are in a very weird place because you've got this performance aspect with MDX Type S, with CX90 Turbo S. You get all these performance ones, but then you also get these off road ones in uh, Peak Edition, in uh, Trail Sport, in uh, Rock Creek. People just want their Swiss Army knife. They want their vehicle to do everything for them. And uh, yeah, the. VW Atlas in general for 2024 is really a facelift and a new power plant. And, and a new and a roughly updated interior, but that's yeah. really it. And I, I'm I'm disappointed to see a, a lack of six cylinders in a big three-row SUV like that, but Toyota's leaning into it with Grand Islander. So it, it'll remain to be seen 
how that performs out in the market, but they're definitely onto something. Everybody wants that off-road appeal, so peak edition. Definitely, and they and they also want the the fuel economy as well. So that's why you're seeing more four cylinders. Mm -hmm. Some some other models that will have features that are more focused for fuel economy. But on Chrysler's thing for a moment, you know, being in that partnership with the Autism Society, it was actually a nice bit of news because. Mm -hmm. It's so like you said, you have personal connections with people on the spectrum, and I have personal connections as well. And some of those features, it might seem insignificant, mm -hmm. but they're very helpful for a, a family that might have an individual that has severe autism, a weighted blanket, for example. Some people might wonder, why on earth are you offering a weighted blanket? For a lot of these people, uh, it's it's a source of sensory input. Mm -hmm. Having that weighted uh, blanket, it not only uh, provides a, a sensory experience for them, but also comfort. Mm -hmm. You know, having that weighted blanket, it, it helps calm some people down. So it's very, it was very nice to see uh, Chrysler uh, go that extra mile to offer things like the pillows and the weighted blanket and the headphones, you know, to help those people out. I mean, Yes, uh, Chrysler is still in the weeds <laughs> on other things, but as far as that little partnership and some of those cool things, it was a very nice gesture on Chrysler's part. So I'll give them credit, you know, for uh, thinking about people on the spectrum and thinking about their families too. Yeah. So between Chrysler and that announcement, and Hyundai and their partnership with uh, their uh, child childhood cancer research funding, I was like. Y'all are just trying to make me cry here. <laughs> so there are a lot of good causes. Subaru is the largest uh, donator to the national park system in uh, the United States. They also have Subaru Love Pets, which I got some puppy kisses while I was there. there and there, who wouldn't? You, you're not doing an auto show, right, if you don't visit Subaru and their pup and the uh, and getting your puppy kisses. <laughs> yes, yes. So. Uh, any other standouts to you? I know we went down the, the press conference schedule, but were there any omissions or any anything that excited you that you got to see there for the first time? I know Supercar Alley was a pretty cool spot to hang out. Yes. Uh, for me, uh, what excited me the most, really, besides the main unveils and debuts, uh, it was seeing the uh, Lamborghini... Uh, Huracan Storado mm -hmm. for the first time because prior to the show the only way I saw a Storado was in pictures mm -hmm. and Lamborghinis very elaborately written press releases mm -hmm. so it was nice uh, being able to uh, see it in person I mean sadly I couldn't get in it I tried but uh, it was nice seeing that model in person also seeing uh, the Rimic that mm -hmm. uh, electric supercar and on the uh, mainstream side of it, it was also really neat seeing the uh, the updated Nissan GTR lineup. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, yes, the platform and the engine have been around for forever, mm -hmm. but it's good to see that Nissan is was still willing to uh, do some meaningful upgrades to uh, GTR, especially that new uh, T-Spec. I, I did not get invited to drive it out in a Central Park like a few of our colleagues did. But uh, I'm hoping to perhaps get some time in it down the line because T-Spec, that has to be arguably my favorite uh, GTR trim right now. 
I mean, some people would say, why don't you like the Nismo? The Nismo is too much for some people. Mm -hmm. And for me, if I were a GTR buyer, that T-Spec that T would actually be a, a good balance pick. You get more performance, but it's not too crazy. And you still get a pretty good sense of the GTR experience without going too overboard on it. Yeah. Well, I will end with a big kudos to you because watching you around the show and then going on to TikTok and watching all your coverage, uh, I, I joke with General Motors Jeff a lot. Uh, we, mm -hmm. we talked a lot in Chicago about he, he doesn't understand how I do it. He focuses on four brands, basically, Buick, GMC, mm -hmm. uh, Chevy, and Cadillac. And you and I, we cover it all, but... Your ability to go in and shoot these TikTok videos and talk in such detail about so many varying different vehicles to go from that Lamborghini to the Disney 100 Platinum Edition of the Ionic 5 to yes. <laughs> uh, the uh, T-Spec to the you name it, the, the breadth of vehicles that were there and the, the amount of detail you were able to put in your videos in such a short amount of time, I still struggle with short form content. Like I, I've finally gotten like my standard reviews down to the 10 minute range, which seems to be working really well for me, mm -hmm. 10 to 20 minutes. But yeah, that short form getting everything in that I would want to get in is still a struggle for me. So huge props to you for yes, thank your, you. your amount of coverage, your amount of knowledge, and everything that you were able to cram into each and every one of your videos. Yes, thank you. I mean, a lot of people ask uh, how I do it, and it's a lot of it's actually unscripted. Like, mm -hmm. I'll do research, like, before I go to a particular car or whatever for, like, certain details, because I've been called out occasionally, especially when I first started, you know, for screwing up numbers by mistake. Mm -hmm. But... You know, it takes a few takes, you know, but eventually uh, you just, it just flows into a perfect rhythm. And uh, some, some of the experience I had from dealerships has been very helpful too, yeah. especially on that side of it, because you get a lot of these, these TikTok creators, you know, they'll look at it from, say, one angle of perspective, but they often forget what the customer is looking for mm -hmm. when they're buying it from the dealership as well as uh, the ownership experience, you know, after the, uh, the, the final sales done and you sign the dotted line. So yeah. for me uh, personally, you know, it's, it's certainly been a wild ride, you know, and I've learned a lot, you know, on the TikTok side of it. And it's, it's been doing well for me. It's been doing well for carredsdaily.com, which is where a lot of my video content for them will go sometimes. And it's just been a very, very good experience. I mean, uh, the main thing I, I would say to people if you're looking to start out, um, don't read the comments. I mean, there's <laughs> some comments I'll read. Like a recent video I did um, with my cousin in mind. She's a fellow TikTok creator too. You know, and when she posted a comment, you know, I'll read that. But the rest of the people, you know, it's like, don't read the comments. I mean, if they're, if they're telling you, you know, something that you might have missed, you know, or whatever, then read it. But a lot of the other comments, no, just don't read them. Just don't let it affect you personally. Just keep moving forward. Yeah, the internet is a fun place. My my favorite series or theme of comments on my videos are people who uh, attack my house. Uh, they apparently think I live in the slums, so that's always funny. I'm like, uh, yep, yeah, no, 
the the house actually costs more than that Escalade that you are putting me down for. So no, try again. Come back. See you again some other time. Yes, I like people who think that I'm some sort of rich guy. Yeah, and it's like. Um, I'm not that rich. Um, I <laughs> if mean, only. yes, the car is worth that much, but no, I am not. I am just an average Joe who's trying to get through life, mm-hmm. um, trying to stay out of trouble with the IRS. And no, <laughs> I am not that rich. <laughs> yeah, uh, my favorite is always having the conversation with uh, like. Uh, sometimes I'll take my press vehicles through the car wash before filming because weather and all that has interrupted my test rhythm. Got to get them cleaned up before I put them on camera. And I was talking to one of the kids at the car wash uh, about the Acura MDX Type S that I was in. I was like, you should see what they're bringing me tomorrow. And it's the GR Corolla that I'm currently driving. And... Uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, bring it by, bring it by. So uh, we we definitely have that appearance of living the high life, but it's also a lot of work too. So uh, th- there are pros and cons to it all. But yeah, I remember I was at a at a family friend's house, and I had the uh, the colon in, mm-hmm. and I parked the colon in the driveway, and I didn't say anything. I didn't say I was driving a Rolls. You know, some of my friends, they saw some of the promotional uh, stuff I did, but I didn't say anything like any of the other guests. The, uh, one of the ladies that was there, she a uh, family friend, she gave me, she came up to me and goes, is that your Rolls Royce out there? It's like, <laughs> well, it kind of is, it kind of is. For the week, anyway. <laughs> it's like, come here, young man. So I come on over, and there's a small crowd gathered around the colon. They're taking pictures. You know, and they and they wanted to know who brought it. So it's like, yep, it's me. Yep. And then the other thing too, I remember was I was in a 720s, and this was the first McLaren I ever got from McLaren. And I was going signing paperwork and whatnot, and I was about to film uh, a brief dive video into it, and lo and behold, all the people came out of my neighbor's house across the street, and they had to come see it. So they were like, "Wow, are you?" Are you rich? Are you an engineer? I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> no, I just I'm not. have a really good job. Feel free job. to ask questions or whatever. You know, knock yourself out. <laughs> well, Carl, you alluded to it just a second ago. Uh, why don't you tell everybody the places that they can find you online? Yes. Um, in addition to uh, the TikTok channel or Carl Malik, um, you can also find me uh, on CarRevsDaily.com. And I am also a freelance contributor for uh, cars.com. And you can see some of my other uh, pieces on there as well. And hopefully one day on that latter item, I'll be able to uh, be a formal employee over there, but probably the nicest people that I've ever had to deal with. And uh, it's been a pleasure uh, doing what I can to contribute for uh, them as well. Yep. And we will put links to all of that down in the show notes down below. So make it very easy to find you over at Car Revs Daily or over on TikTok or cars.com. But Carl, thank you mm-hmm. so much for coming on and talking New York Auto Show with me. Yes. And thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yep. And so there you have it. A quick recap of the 2023 New York International Auto Show. There was a lot to see there. We just covered mainly 
the new stuff. Uh, Carl did kind of venture off. Uh, we talked a little bit more of the mainstream uh, vehicles that are more or less updates, refreshes, Skyline being one of them. I did manage to get a, a video of something that <laughs> has a three in the year model in the 2023 Chevy Colorado ZR2 Desert Boss. But most of what I focused on was 24 and newer and concepts and things like that. But it was really cool to get to see the show a little bit through his perspective, get to pick his brain a little bit more on some of the things he saw there. And like I said at the end, his TikTok channel, the amount of detail he is able to go through in short form content and more or less off the top of his head. I don't know how he does it. I, I know peek behind the curtain here at GT Garage Talk. I, I have figured out the formula of on-camera, off-camera mix that allows me to pull myself off-camera, be behind the camera, and have a quick stat sheet there at the ready to cover a lot of the facts. But Carl is filming on his phone, so unless he's got a paper copy in there that in his pocket somewhere that I don't know about, yeah, he's he's doing that all off the top of his head and truly impressive. Uh, the amount of content he was able to create at the show uh, and the amount of content he was able to get into each and every one of his uh, TikTok videos. So huge thanks to Carl for coming on, for bouncing ideas off me, letting me see the show through his eyes. Very excited. He and I will actually be roomies at an event coming up, and I'm very excited. I won't spoil it all there, but a lot of vehicles will be involved. And unlike the New York Auto Show, we'll actually be, be behind the wheel of them. So very excited to turn some vehicles on, mash a pedal or two, and get to experience what vehicles are meant to do. There will be a track, there will be off-road, there will be road driving, all kinds of fun stuff. I'm very excited. Can't wait for it. That is all coming to GT Garage Talk YouTube and Facebook very soon. But, you know, for us, you can find us everywhere. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube. Everything is at GT Garage Talk. Or, like it always, just head on over to GTGarageTalk.com. But until next month, gearheads... Bye.